This morning we're uh, continuing our series in the Gospel of John called Encountering Christ. And uh, we're coming to a verse that at one time in my life was my least favorite verse in the, in, in the Bible. Do you have any of those? I know we're not supposed to admit that, right? Do you have any least favorite verses? Uh, as a matter of fact, it was this verse and others like it that seriously caused me to doubt the words that the choir just sang there. That the Lord is good. That he, he, is, give us, he gives us goodness. You know, I know the word gospel, you know what that means, right? Good news. But for an extended time in my life, I wondered what was so good about it. I'll explain why in a minute, but before we get there, let's read the verse that caused me so much heartache uh, on our notes there. It's in the passage we're looking at this morning. It's John 14, 15. Would you read it out loud? It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I came to know the Lord at the age of seven, but my understanding of how our relationship actually worked was not clear till me until much later. Like many well-meaning Christians, you know, I understood I was saved by grace. And yet I would come across verses like this and others like it. I mean, they're all over the Bible. And I think, well, yeah, I'm saved by grace, but then I better work my tail off to earn that grace. You see, I love Jesus. I did. And so I, I figured that what he meant here was that if I really loved him, that I would try really, 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 really hard to prove it by obeying. And so my life would get into this cycle. Maybe some of you recognize this cycle in your life where you notice a sin or a habit pattern that plagues you and you know, according to God's word, that's not obeying. And so what you say is, I'm going to try really hard to stop doing that. I don't know what it is. It was lying, stealing, pride. Maybe it's a sin of omission. I want to share my faith more and I'm not. I want to love my wife like Christ loved the church. I find myself getting into these cycles saying, well, if I really love him, I'm going to obey him. And so I would wake up one morning, get all white knuckled, and then say, today's the day. I'm going to be a super Christian. I'd even get up like an hour earlier to do my devotions, right? I mean, this is how dedicated I am today, Lord. And it went great because I haven't even encountered anybody yet. No actual people. Things are starting off well, and then I yell at my kids to get ready for school. I give the driver in front of me who's going way too slow an angry gesture on my way to work. I forget about the science test that the teacher told us about weeks ago, but my neighbor sitting next to me did not forget about it, and I can easily look at their paper, and bang, I'm right back where I started from. I can't even make it two hours let alone my whole life obeying God's commandments. And that's why this verse and others like it was my least favorite in the Bible. I got tired. I got tired of that cycle of trying really, really, really hard to obey and falling back on my face again. Am I the only one who struggles with this? Actually, I know I'm not the only one. The Apostle Paul himself struggled with this. He wrote about that struggle in Romans chapter 7. And he called it living in the flesh. He had an actual phrase for it. He said, living according to the flesh. That's where we try to find a way in our own strength 
in our own power to measure up to God's standards. It's religion. Which if you've been a part of our church here, you know we're not about religion. We're about life in Christ. And yet we're all pretty good at this thing called living in the flesh, aren't we? Paul says we do the things we don't want to do. Why? Because I'm living in the flesh. And here's the hard truth that Paul had to learn and I had to learn myself. If you're following on your notes there, we simply cannot love Jesus by living in the flesh. We cannot love Jesus by living in the flesh. You cannot love Jesus by living in the flesh. You will always fail. I will always fail. But here's what I did not see for over 10 years of my life. And maybe this is why you're here this morning. Maybe God had a divine appointment for you this morning just to hear this one thing. He never expected that you would do anything but fail when you attempt to live in the flesh. God made no provision for us in our own strength to live the Christian life out that we're called to live. I wish I had seen this when I was going through this struggle, but did you know there's a John 14, 60? Do you know that Romans 8 follows Romans 7? Where Paul discovers there is a different way to live for us. I thought about how to illustrate it. Most of you probably carry one of these nowadays. Smartphone. And you watch the commercials about smartphones and the promises of a smartphone are just ridiculous, right? They can do everything now. I can talk to it and tell it to do something and it does it. And I read the New Testament and sometimes I look at it and go, the promises are ridiculous, aren't they? We're supposed to experience love and joy and peace. We're supposed to have streams of water flowing out from us. Jesus says we can have the abundant life. And yet, I don't always experience it. What's going on? Now, now, my smartphone won't work without batteries, right? And if the company didn't provide the batteries, that would be a pretty tough thing to actually get this thing to work. But thankfully, my company provided the battery, and my smartphone can live up to all the promises that it keeps. What if God actually didn't just provide us the promises, but he provided the battery too? What, what if the gospel was more than just sin management, which is what we have reduced it to so often, right? Yeah, God forgave me of my sin. Awesome. What if it actually was about the promises he wants to bestow on us as his children? What if God provided everything you needed to really love him and obey his commandments? What if the gospel really is good news? That'd be pretty incredible, wouldn't it? I want to tell you this morning that it is. And the reason it is, if you're falling on your notes, is just as we can't love Jesus by living in the flesh, Jesus gives us everything we need to follow him. Jesus gives us everything we need to follow him. In fact, what he gives us is his very own spirit. Batteries are included. This was actually a promise that the Lord made hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the earth. In Ezekiel 36, God makes this promise. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, I will remove you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God knew even then, didn't he? We can't love him and follow him on our own. We need some sort of surgery. We need some sort of help. And the help came in the form of his very own spirit, the Holy Spirit. If you would, if you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and turn them to John 14. Since we already read verse 16, we're going to be looking at verse, excuse me, we already read verse 15. We're going to be starting in verse 16. As you're turning there, I'm just going to remind you, if you haven't been with us throughout the series right now, uh, we've been walking through the Gospel of John as a church, and we're kind of at the last day of Jesus' life. It's called the Upper Room Discourse, where the Gospel of John slows down, and we get some of Jesus' very last words to his disciples. In other words, this is the last night he has with them, and so the question is, what does he find most important to tell them? What does he want to share with them most? And we're going to discover here one of the things he wants to share. He's actually going to talk about it twice, and we're going to come back in a few weeks. Before I leave, you've got to know about the Holy Spirit. It's that important. I'm going to talk about it twice. You have got to know about the Holy Spirit. Now, I know talking about the Holy Spirit, as Brian already mentioned, can be a little bit intimidating, can be a little bit confusing. And I'm sure the disciples were confused, don't you think? I mean, they knew about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active during the Old Testament times. But what Jesus is promising here would have been mind-blowing to them. Not only was the Holy Spirit going to continue to be active, he was going to be active in them. He was going to come and dwell in them. There's so much that needs to be said about the Holy Spirit, so much confusion that needs to be cleared up. Jeff and I did a series several years ago called Overflow, where we tried to address some of those things. But listen, we're in a series in the Gospel of John. And so what I'm going to do, what I have agreed to do, is to teach through this passage and what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit here. If you'd like to learn more about that, I encourage you to go listen to some of the messages in that series. But in this text, we learn three things about the Holy Spirit. Who he is, what he does, and when he's going to come. So if you've got your Bible, let's look at verse 16. I'm going to read all the way through verse 27. We're just going to read the whole text this morning and come back and look at those three areas. Everybody ready? And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? They still wanted Jesus to be someone other than, they, than he was. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. There it is again. But look at what follows. My father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I know I'm not the only one in this room who has struggled with the cycle of trying harder only to fall flat on my face. So I pray for any of those in this room who may experience that cycle, that you would set them free today as we look at the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray it with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this text, Jesus said three things about who the Holy Spirit is. First, if you're on your notes, he says the Holy Spirit is another person, another person, just, excuse me, the same as Jesus. Just like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is another person, the same as Jesus. Let's go back and read verse 16 out loud together. It's on your notes. Would you read it with me? It says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I want you to, for right now, just notice that word, another. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, a person just like Jesus. There are actually two different Greek words that Jesus could have used here to, de- to describe this anotherness. Kent Hughes gives a great illustration that really helped me understand the difference between these two. Right here I have a honey crisp apple. It's a nice big one, isn't it? And let's say I decided I want, wanted all of you this morning to have another honey crisp apple just like mine, and I went to the store. And I bought as many Honeycrisp apples as I could, and I passed them all out, but there weren't enough. And so I had to buy some Red Delicious apples. And I passed them out because I felt bad, and I wanted everybody to at least have an apple. Now, those of you who are holding the Honeycrisp would have another just like mine. The same as mine, right? Those of you holding the Red Delicious would have had another that was different than mine. The word Jesus uses here to describe the Holy Spirit is another just like me. Just like me. In other words, there's no loss in the exchange here between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. His disciples are beginning to get worried about all this talk about him leaving and departing them, but he promises, I'm going to send another person exactly like me who is going to take over my work and take over my presence among you. There's going to be no loss in the exchange here. This is why Paul would write these words in Romans 8, 9, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. They're the same. Another person, just like Jesus. You know, this is the mystery of the Trinity that we read about in the Athanasian Creed. Father, Son, and Spirit, all distinct, yet one God. Holy Spirit is just like Jesus, another, just like Jesus. Second thing we learn about the Holy Spirit is that he is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of truth. That's the spirit of truth. That means he's related to Jesus again. Because what did Jesus claim last week as we learned in John 14, 6? I am the truth. I'm the truth. And so the Holy Spirit, as the spirit of truth, is all about pointing people towards the truth, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we've been seeing, even in this passage, every time Jesus talks, it's almost always guaranteed that he's going to say, I want the Father to be glorified, right? It's always about, I want the Father to be glorified. I want the Father to be glorified. He's always saying that and praying that. And in a similar way, I think the Holy Spirit is always about, I want the Son to be glorified. As the Spirit of truth, I will point to the Son as the way, the truth, and the life. 
The third thing we learn about the Holy Spirit in this passage, now this is a really interesting word. In Greek, it's the word paraclete, and there's no tr perfect translation for us in English. It's in verse 16. It's that word advocate there. If you have your uh, Bibles open, some of you with different translations, you might have the word helper, comforter, counselor. There's no perfect English translation, but literally what this means, paraclete, if you're falling on your notes, means the Holy Spirit is one who comes alongside of another. One who comes alongside of another. It always contains this idea of one who will sh help shoulder our responsibility. This promise right here, the advocate, the paraclete, this is what I missed for so long in my life. Jesus did not leave me alone to struggle and try to love him and try to obey him. He included the batteries. He sent another, just like him, to come alongside of me in order to help me. Literally, the idea here is of a trainer. You ever uh, had a trainer or a coach even at some point in your life? Trainers push us and encourage us and come alongside of us to reach our goal, right? That's what a trainer's for. We want, what's your goal? The first question they'll ask you, what's your goal? And then they'll help us reach that goal. And the same idea here is with the Holy Spirit. What's our goal as Christians? Christ-likeness. I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to obey his commands. I want to mature, move out of shallow into maturity. And the Holy Spirit is here to come alongside of us and push us and encourage us towards that. That's who the Holy Spirit is. And uh, in the next verses, Jesus goes on to describe uh, what he does as a way to do that. What does this paraclete actually do? First thing I noticed, and this was life-changing for me, is that the Holy Spirit helps us to obey. The Holy Spirit helps us to obey. <coughs> it's not all up to me. He's my helper, my counselor, my advocate, my coach. He comes alongside of me to help us. What does he help us with again? To live out the Christian life. He wants to help you live out the Christian life. Listen, this is what I missed for so long in my life. In verse 15, Jesus wasn't saying, you've got to try harder to love me. Come on! Now, he knows that'll fail. What he's saying is that for those of you, for those of us who do love him, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send another one to come alongside of you and to help you, to guide you, to counsel you, to lead you towards Christ-likeness. Now listen, does this mean the Holy Spirit's going to do everything for us? TC, you're a trainer, I know. You, do you lift the weights for your, the people you're training? Heck no. That wouldn't be a very good trainer, would it? A trainer pushes us to reach our own goal. It's like the Holy Spirit's not going to like overtake your life and then you become some sort of robot. But it does mean that if we let him, he will come alongside of us. He will encourage us coach us, challenge us sometimes. Do we ever need to be challenged? Sure know I do. To help us reach the goal. To press on 
towards the goal, as Paul said. Of course, that leads to the question, how does he do this? And the answer is the second thing the Holy Spirit does. If you're following on your notes, the Holy Spirit lives in the lives of believers forever. How does he help us? He lives in the lives of believers forever. Write that down. We sang words about that. Let's just pause here. That's ridiculous. We say that. We can say that stuff. We can sing those songs. We can say the creeds. He lives in us. Paul called this the mystery of the gospel. Christ in me. Jesus mentions this twice. Verse 20, on that day you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then in verse 23, let's read it out loud on our notes. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Peggy and I, my wife, you know, we've been sharing with our uh, six-year-old son about what it means to follow Christ. And man, if you want to talk about learning how to say the gospel in simple terms, try explaining it to a kid, right? And so you use words that we've always used, you know, like you got to invite Christ into your heart. You got to invite Christ into your heart. And for so long, he kind of pushed up against that. And we finally were able to discover, like, why, you know, why, why don't you like that? He goes, isn't that going to hurt? I mean, literally, he's thinking Christ is going to come take up, you know, residence in his heart. Part of me wanted to say, yeah, sometimes it is going to hurt. (laughs) Last week, Jeff showed us that the word Jesus uses for home here is the very same word Jesus used to describe the place he is preparing for believers in heaven in verse 2. So what that means is not only is Jesus preparing a future place for you, which is what so many of us limit the gospel to, my ticket to heaven, He's actually taking up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit abides in the life of a believer. This would have been mind-blowing for the disciples, right? Still is to me. Here, essentially, Jesus says that gulf that Jeff did a great job talking about yesterday, right? Or last week, that separates the creator from the creature. That gulf has been forever bridged, and God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He let us experience communion with him, fellowship with him, a relationship with him. During the Old Testament, you can read stories of when the Holy Spirit would come upon people for a time, but then would leave. In the New Covenant, in Christ's blood, we're told he will dwell in the life of a believer forever. When the Spirit comes into your life, he does not come and go and come and go. He doesn't need to be invited again and again and again. He comes to dwell in your life forever. This happens the moment you come to faith in Christ. The moment you say, you know what? I am trusting that you really are the way, the truth, and the life. And at that moment, you're adopted, we just read, into God's family. Sons and daughters of the living God. And he gives us this amazing gift. Paul called it, the Holy Spirit, the seal of our salvation. This amazing gift. And I know some groups teach that we can get more of the Spirit. Have you ever heard that? I just need more of the Spirit. But I guess I would say to that, again, the Spirit is a person, not an it. So I can't get more of a person. I either have the whole person or I don't have the person at all. I think what they're actually trying to say there, and I I can agree to a little bit of this, is what they're trying to say there is the Holy Spirit can have more of us. 
In fact, if you're on your notes, that is our uh, role here, if you're following there. Our role is simply to allow the Spirit to have more of us. We can never have more of the Spirit, but we can allow the Holy Spirit to have more of us. You see, the Holy Spirit won't force himself upon you. He will wait for you to invite him into your life and make his home in you. He waits for you to stop living in the flesh and to start giving him control of your behavior, of your thoughts, of your attitudes, of your day. When we can have more of the Spirit, we can look at our life totally differently, right? He's in my work. He is in my home. He's at the gym. He's wherever it is I am trying to pursue Christ. Friends, once we understand what this means, we realized All that stuff I thought I needed to do to prove my love to him. It's meaningless. He has provided everything I need and more. I just have to give him access to my life. Many Christians are caught up in that rat race trying to perform for God. Stop! He doesn't want your performance. He wants your love and obedience and the way you give that to him is by opening up your life to him. By allowing the Holy Spirit to have more access in your heart. By allowing him to come alongside of you. To help you. Do the things that you've been trying to do on your own. Once you understand this, isn't the pressure kind of off? We don't have to live in that ridiculous cycle anymore. This is when the gospel finally became good news for me. I am free. I'm free to live in Christ and for Christ. The third thing the Holy Spirit does is that the Spirit is our teacher and reminder of truth. Our teacher and reminder of truth. I just, we talked about how the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. That's who He is. Look what He does in verse 26 as the Spirit of truth. Let's read it out loud. It says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is what? To point to Jesus Christ. To point to Jesus Christ. To point to Jesus Christ in my life and in this world. The Spirit has come not to testify about himself, but to testify about Christ. That's why whenever I hear people talking about the different things that the Spirit is doing, I always want to ask the question, is whatever that thing is, pointing others to Christ. Because if it's not, it might not be from the Holy Spirit. It might be from a different kind of spirit. Now primarily, the way I believe the Holy Spirit does this, teaches us and reminds us, is through His Word. He's given us the Word. The Word of truth we have sitting in our laps right now. And the Holy Spirit is the one who can teach us the truth and remind us of that truth. How many of you have had this experience? I can't tell you how many Sundays... Somebody will come up to me after the service and say, man, that one thing you said, you were looking right at me. How did you know that's what I needed? And I'll look back on my notes and go, I don't even think that was a part of my message. <laughs> What's going on there? I'm not the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of truth. Or how about this? You ever experienced this? I used to be so afraid, so afraid to share my faith. Because I thought I had to memorize every single apologetic book ever written. 
so that I could know every single answer to every single question people might have. Talk about living in the flesh. And we're told here that the Holy Spirit will remind us of the truth. Have you ever had that moment where somebody's like, well, why do you even like Jesus so much? What's the big deal? And you're like, oh, no. And then all of a sudden, words are coming out of your mouth you can't even believe are coming out of your mouth. I didn't even know I knew that. What's that? It's the Holy Spirit reminding us of the truth, teaching us the truth. Aren't you grateful for this ministry of the Holy Spirit? Man, I am not smart enough. I am not smart enough to understand or apply all of God's truth in my life. But that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing the Holy Spirit does, according to this text, is that the Holy Spirit gives us peace. Holy Spirit gives us peace. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is what I missed for so long in my life. Peace. Sounds good, doesn't it? Peace. You know, the kind of peace the world talks about, I think, is this idea of comfort, a life of ease, a life with no bumps or problems, escapism. Peace comes when I can go lie on the beach and forget about all my problems for two weeks. But I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't give the kind of peace the world gives. It's not a peace that's going to help you avoid trouble or keep you safe from every danger. The word Jesus uses is the word shalom. I'm sure some of you have heard that before. It's the greeting that Jewish people would give each other. Shalom, peace, and it means wholeness. And completeness. It doesn't mean a lack of comfort, but it's so much more than that. Jesus is about to experience some of the most excruciating physical, spiritual, and emotional trouble imaginable, isn't he? In just a few hours. And yet, he could still experience peace. Why? Because of the reality that we're talking about this morning. Peace isn't a feeling. Let's, I'd like to repeat that. Peace isn't a feeling. Peace is a reality of my life because now Christ is in me. With is a beautiful word, isn't it? With. Emmanuel. God with us. No matter what I'm walking through, God with us. Emmanuel. That's peace. If you're following on your notes there, the last part of that, the Holy Spirit gives us peace because he is with us even in the midst of our trials. Even in the midst of our trials, are we going to face trials? Jesus guaranteed it. Jeff's going to be talking about it in a couple weeks. You better be ready, because we will. But we can have peace even in the midst of our trials, because he is with us. Some of you know, probably most of you know, that I'm uh, in the process right now of uh, pursuing a kidney transplant. I've got a genetic kidney disease, and I've known this day was coming for my entire life. Now... I'm not going to stand up here and say, like, I'm excited about that. Or, like, I'm glad that God gave this to me. I'll, I'll be happy to stand up here and tell you I'm afraid. I ask questions. What is this going to mean? How is this going to work out? And yet, behind all of that, and I hope you experience this too, whatever trial you're facing, is this peace. I, I really do believe that God has the best intentions for my life no matter what that means. That he is sovereign and he holds me in his hand. 
And I can trust that. Doesn't mean you're not afraid. Doesn't mean I feel afraid. But it means I can have peace. As Jesus closes this section, he tells his disciples when they can expect all this to happen. Let's finish by looking at verses 28 through 31. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad. There's that peace we're talking about, right? I mean, every time a Christian dies, we can be glad. We can be glad. I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded. Come now, let us leave. Two things need to happen in order for the Holy Spirit to come. First, Jesus must go to the Father, he says. I'm going to go to the Father. Second, Satan must be conquered. Here Jesus obviously is looking ahead to the next few hours of his life where he is going to struggle in intense shame, agony, loneliness. And yet he knows the victory is secure. I love that word. He said, he has no hold over me. (coughs) Satan has no hold over me, though the cost is going to be great. The victory is certain. And yet, if you're following in your notes there, after Jesus' victory and glory is when we'll receive the Holy Spirit. He knew this stuff needed to happen. After his victory and glory is when we'll receive the Holy Spirit. He went through all that agony, all that shame, all that suffering to give us the one gift we couldn't give ourselves, freedom from our sin, freedom from death. But let's not stop there with the gospel. The gospel isn't just being forgiven of my sin. It's so much more. It's so much greater, isn't it? The gospel includes the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift to help me live the life Christ has called me to live. You can read when this takes place in Acts chapter 2. When Jesus did ascend to the Father and he sat down at his right hand in victory. At that moment, all these promises began to break forth in the disciples' lives. It became a new reality for them. And guess what? The reality can be the same for us today. And so my question as we close this morning is, are you living in that reality? Are you experiencing the joy of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? Or are you still caught up in that cycle, trying to please God in your flesh? See, Jesus didn't create a new religion. He didn't create a new set of rules to try to follow in order to please God. He created a whole new approach to life. Living in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit says, God, I can't do this by myself. I give up trying so hard. And that's when God says, finally, finally. It's about time that you gave your whole life over to me. It's about time that you made room for me to come into your life and be the helper I promised to be, to guide you, to comfort you, to challenge you. Now we can start making some progress on this love the Lord thing. Now we can work on this whole obey my commandment thing. Friends, I hope more than anything else this morning you have heard that this really is some good news. 
Who is the Holy Spirit? He is another, just like Jesus. He is the spirit of truth who points us towards truth. And he is the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of us to help us in all things. Why do I need the Holy Spirit in my life? If you're falling on your notes, because only the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit can help me to live the life I long to live. Do you believe that? Only the Holy Spirit can help me to live the life I long to live. Your task is not to transform yourself, to try harder, to change yourself. That's like a phone without batteries. It's just going to lead to more frustration. Our task is to simply join God in the work that he is doing in our lives by staying connected to his spirit from one moment to the next. And we're going to look a lot more at that in uh, several weeks from now as we look at part two of Jesus' talk about the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? But for now, my question as we close is, am I living life in my own power? Or am I walking in the Spirit? You know the difference. You know the difference between those two. And I hope this morning you have heard, maybe for the first time in your life, that you can stop trying so hard and start trusting and giving God access to your life. Let's pray. Lord, we sang a song earlier, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. Oh, that we would actually believe that. How different our lives would be I'm willing to bet every one of us have struggled with the same thing in this room, Lord, where we want so hard to please you and to love you and to obey your commandments, and yet we find ourselves falling flat on our face. This morning, along with my brothers and sisters, we want to lay that aside. We want to rid ourselves of living in the flesh. We want to cast off our old self, as Paul says. We want to learn what it means to walk in the Spirit. We want to trust that the good news is really good news, as you say it is. And that as we learn to let go of trying so hard, as we learn to give you more access into our life, as we give more of you, more of us to you, I want to pray that we could experience the freedom you meant us to experience, the full gospel, Yes, our sins are forgiven. But almost as amazing as that is that Christ is in me, here and now, to guide me, to help me, to come alongside of me, to push me towards the goal you have for me. We want that. So now as we have a few moments just to pray silently, Consider the words of this song, Lord, I pray that you would speak individually to each person here as they open their heart up to you. Amen.